0: Let's read together as we continue our look at uh, our Lord's Sermon on the Mount, more especially these wonderful Beatitudes, very familiar to us. It's so good to have the chance to dip our toes, so to speak, once again in in this lovely sermon and focus upon the Beatitudes. We're reading from Matthew's Gospel again, chapter 5, and we'll read these verses 1 through 12. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of God. Let's pray a blessing. Father, we thank you for these wonderful scriptures, very, very familiar scriptures. But how we long to hear from you afresh, from the familiar. And so we ask, Lord, as we focus uh, this morning on this uh, amazing, amazing teaching of Jesus, that you will open our minds, help us to understand, more especially open our hearts, that we might receive the Word of God in the inner person. And this we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. So friends, we come to what is undoubtedly one of the greatest utterances to be found anywhere in the whole of the Bible. Jesus taught those disciples who were with Him, Blessed, O the bliss of the pure in heart, for they will see God. When we begin to realize even a little of the meaning of these extraordinary words, we can approach them, friends, only with a sense of awe, a sense of complete inadequacy. Here, we are face to face with one of the most magnificent and yet one of the most solemnizing and searching statements that can be found anywhere in Scripture. It is, of course, The very essence of the Christian position. The very essence of Christian teaching. Blessed are the pure in heart. Friends, is not this what Christianity is all about? Blessed are the pure in heart. So friends, a deep breath as we endeavor to move swiftly through this extraordinary teaching this morning. Blessed, oh the bliss of the pure in heart. The Greek word here translated into our English versions pure is katharos. Katharos in classical and secular Greek, its use varied dramatically. It was used of clothes that were now Catharos, because they had been washed and therefore cleansed and were clean. It was used of a whole series of physical things that were without blemish, without admixture, without alloy. It was used of pure water. It was used of wine or milk that was unadulterated, undiluted. It was used of animals that were Physically perfect. It was used of blood, lineage, descent that was absolutely pure, and I could go on. Its use in classical and uh, in secular Greek was was dramatically varied. In the Septuagint, however, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, kathros is used. Some 150 times, and usually in relation to ceremonial purity. The purity that came from ceremonial washing, the purity that came from the observance of the ritual laws, the purity that has little or no moral content. At all. In Exodus it's used 37 times. Leviticus 34 times. And each time it describes nothing but that which is ceremonial. That which is ritual in nature. It did have its use, however, catharos, Describing spiritual or moral purity. Abimelech's integrity. In Genesis 25 and 6 concerning him keeping Abraham's wife pure was referred to as catharos. He was pure of heart in genesis forty four verse ten The blessedness uh, so that the blamelessness in the face of a charge of conduct uh, misconduct rather is is also called catharos in job four seven job eight six job eleven four job sixteen seventeen An innocent and upright character in the sight of God is called catharos, the psalmist regularly uses this word kathros as having a pure or clean heart. And so he, these were the uses of this wonderful word. But ostensibly, firstly and foremostly from uh, an Orthodox Jew's perspective, the, the, the feeling here, the, the, the meaning is one of purely ceremonial, purely externalized. The Orthodox Jew was concerned with being ceremonially clean, cleansed externally, that they might therefore offer the appropriate sacrifices at the tabernacle and latterly, of course, at the temple. Ceremonial purity. That was important to the the, the Orthodox Jew. But Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. He moves on in his mindset from that which is purely ceremonial, that which is purely external, to that which is a matter of the heart. And my friends, is it not true to say this morning that the gospel is a matter of the heart? We might scrub up well before we come to church on a Sunday morning and look all clean and well-shaven and well-dressed. But my friends, the gospel is not about this. The gospel is the gospel of the heart. And Jesus declares, Blessed are the pure in heart. He didn't say blessed are the pure in mind. Notice. There can often be too much importance placed upon the academic, both within the Christian and secular environment these days, can't there? He doesn't say blessed are the pure in mind. He doesn't say blessed are the pure in body that can often be too much importance placed upon physical realms in our world today. He says blessed are the pure in heart. Now of course he was teaching his disciples. Overhearing this teaching of course were the Pharisees, the orthodox Jews, the teachers of the law. The Sadducees. And, and Jesus was making a point, of course, to his disciples, but of course to, to, to the Orthodox Jew. He says, my friends, purity, purity that matters, is not that which is external in nature. It's purity of the heart. He had some tough truths to communicate to the disciples throughout his ministry, didn't he, our Lord? Do you remember the, 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 the woes, the seven woes he directed against the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23? Well, it doesn't make very good reading, does it? But uh, he says on one occasion, Matthew twenty-three, twenty-three, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin. So he says you give a, so you're, you're observing the law. You're doing all that you can to be pure On an external perspective, he says. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, he says. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter. Without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat but swallow a camel, he says. Oh my, he didn't mince his words, did he, our Lord? This is hardly gentle Jesus, meek and mild speaking here, is it? This is Jesus telling it as it is. And friends, it's not not, it's not not what the Lord does at times. Yes, he draws very lovingly alongside us and puts his arm on our shoulders, so to speak, and catches us to himself. But on occasions, he also speaks candidly. He says, verse 25 of Matthew 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed. And self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees see the clean. First clean the inside of the cup and dish. And then the outside also will be clean. Jesus undoubtedly put this emphasis on the heart here in this sermon. So that the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, might hear and understand. It is one thing to keep the Lord. It is one thing to be ceremonially, externally clean. It's another thing altogether, certainly in the sight of God, to be pure of heart. What did Jesus mean by heart? Laura's already preached my sermon for me, which is fine. It allows me to skip a few notes. I think you'll be glad to, to understand. What did he mean by heart? Well, according to the general scriptural Usage of the term the heart is the center of our personality. We are, of course, tripartite beings body, soul, and spirit. Body, soul. The heart is the center of our personality. This is not merely the seat of our affections, the seat of our emotions, it's the center of who we are. Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones says, The heart in Scripture. Is the center of man's being and personality. It is the fount out of which everything else comes. It is the fount out of which everything else comes. It includes your mind, he says. It includes your will. It includes the heart. It is the total man. This is the heart of which Jesus speaks when he says, Blessed are the pure in heart. The story is told of an eminent theologian and biblical scholar, a spiritual thinker of his day, who came to address uh, a university, a a Bible seminary campus in North America on one occasion. And uh, the lecture hall was full of eager students, theological students, longing to hear wonderful theological truths and deep expressions of biblical knowledge from this eminent theologian and this one gentleman stood up on this occasion and he just said one sentence and sat down (laughs) he said this you are not what you think you are but what you think you are enough said he said And sat down. That's the heart. It's the center of who Doug Atherton is. J.C. Ryle put it, when Jesus said the pure in heart, he meant those who do not aim merely at outward correctness, but inward holiness. They are not satisfied with a mere external show of religion. They strive to have always a conscience void of offence. And to serve God with the spirit and the inner man. Blessed are all such, he says. The the heart is the man. The heart, secondly, friends, it is the center of our personality. But it is also, scripturally, the seat of our troubles. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15, 18 through 19, Jesus said, The things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Friends, the terrible, tragic fallacy of the last 100, 150 years has been to think that all man's troubles are due to his environment. And to simply change the man, you have to do nothing but to change his environment. This is a nonsense. This is a fallacy. It overlooks the fact that it was in paradise that man fell. It was in a perfect environment that man first went wrong, that sin entered the world. So to put man in a perfect environment cannot solve this problem because the seat of the problem is the heart, not the environment. Thus, our friends, are we forced to conclude that this beatitude is totally beyond us? Are we forced to conclude that this beatitude is unobtainable? Unpossessable, unacquirable, unknowable. It's beyond us. Well, friends, we can have a pure heart. Even this morning. Not because of anything that we have done. Not because of any outward ritual. or or ceremonial process, not because of any good deed or good thought that we may have done or, or had, but because of God's grace through Jesus Christ, we can have a pure heart. Think about it. A pure heart. The famous hymn writer Thomas Binney wrestled with this throughout his ministry. Thomas Binney was a Victorian preacher. He uh, he was a large, copiously built man and would regularly stand on the, the street corners of London preaching the gospel. The story goes that on one occasion he was on holiday in the Isle of Wight. And after dinner, evening dinner, he went to have a walk along the beach. And it was a glorious, glorious night. And as he walked, he surveyed the vast array of the, the starry host, and he was almost overcome by what he, by what he saw. And he went back to his hotel room, and he further grappled with this dynamic. How can I have a clean heart? He wrote to him, "You'll know it, I'm sure. Eternal light, eternal light. How pure the soul must be when placed within Thy piercing sight. It, it shrinks not, but with calm delight can live and look on Thee." The spirits that surround my throne can bear the burning bliss, but that is surely theirs alone, for they have never, never known a fallen world like this. Oh, how can I, whose native sphere is dark, whose mind is dim, before the ineffable appear, and on my naked spirit bear the uncreated beam? There is a way for man to rise to that sublime abode. An offering and a sacrifice. A Holy Spirit's energies. And advocate with God. Can it be friends? Can it be this morning? Doug Atherton though born in sin. Doug Atherton though he knows as the Apostle Paul before him knew. The wretched wranglings of sin trying to pull me back. Could it be that I might have a pure heart? Oh, yes. (laughs) Oh, yes. Through Jesus Christ, who cleanseth me from all sin. All sin. Hallelujah. This is the heart of the gospel message. Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Peter put it in 1 Peter 1, 3-4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy. Here's that word, chesed. Remember? Last week, chesed. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, hallelujah. There is a way, friends, there is a way for you to have a pure heart this morning in Jesus Christ. God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ allows us to, to like Jeremiah four fourteen testified be we wash the the, the the it washes the evil from our hearts that we might be saved, says Jeremiah. The psalmist put it in Psalm 24 that we might be able to ascend the hill of the Lord. Why? Because we have clean hands and a pure heart. 1 Timothy 1.5 This grace of God uh, allows us through faith in Jesus Christ to love with a pure heart. To love with a good conscience. To love with a sincere faith. Joseph Hart in his wonderful hymn put it like this. "'Tis thine to cleanse the heart." to sanctify the soul, to pour flesh life in every part and new create the whole. Friends, we can have a pure heart this morning. You don't seem too excited about that reality. Is that perhaps because you've allowed the enemy to convince you that that's pie in the sky only when you die? You don't feel particularly clean, maybe. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Maybe they haven't crouched upon you. Stolen your joy. Robbed you of your peace. And caused doubt somewhat to enter the inner person. Pure heart. Me. I just don't feel pure. But friends, John says, if you confess your sins to God in Christ. He will forgive you your sins. He will forgive you your sins and what? And what will He do? Purify you from all unrighteousness. Wow. Isn't that amazing? At that moment of faith exercised in Christ by His shed blood. We are cleansed of all sin. We are purified of all righteousness. We are the very ones whom Christ here describes. The pure in heart. Hallelujah. Well, I find that extraordinary. Particularly at times on the back of failure. It's difficult to feel pure on the back of failure. Wouldn't you agree? because I find the enemy jumping on my back and reminding me every five minutes or so that I am a failure. And Jesus says, just confess, my son. Just confess. And you can have a pure heart. Difficult to feel that way, isn't it? When we're we're in the midst of of, of a secular world that that looks upon us as, as odd at best, as complete lunatics at worst. It's difficult to feel pure when the, 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 the enemy is having a go at us, isn't it? And Jesus says, confess your sin and you'll have a pure heart. Hallelujah. A pure heart. What's the promise, friends? Very quickly. What's the promise? For those of us here this morning who have a pure heart, Who are sanctified by the grace of God and the move of God's Holy Spirit. Well, the promise is that we will see God. Oh, come on. What's the matter? Isn't that exciting? Now then, is that simply also pie in the sky when you die? is it? Is it? Is this just something, something for us to look forward to? A blessed and glorious hope I grant you, but only a future hope. Is that all this is? No, it's not. The tense here is present continuous. It's that indicative Greek tense. So Jesus says, pure heart will see God. Now, and tomorrow, and the next day. And the next day, and the next day, and of course one day, shall behold him in all of his glory. We will see God. Hmm. I, I know we're, we're good Baptists here, aren't we? It's, it's not conducive, it's not incumbent upon good Baptists to get too excited about that. Just every now and again, I think, I, thought, I wish we were good penties. See God? Now, of course, the skeptics amongst us are saying to themselves, well, I know Scripture, Pastor. Scripture tells me otherwise, Pastor. Scripture tells me no man can see God and live. Rightly so. But the Apostle Paul gave testimony, did he not? In 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve, saying now what we see as a poor reflection, then we shall see okay what we behold now is a poor reflection but we will see he he still doesn't say we we can't see god now We, we see him as a as a poor reflection as in a mirror i'm reminded of isaiah's testimony It was a testimony that Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 6. Who awaited to to tell him he was wrong. And he says in his testimony, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now was he mistaken? Had he been taking too much drugs that week? He gave testimony. I saw the Lord. And then he sought to describe the vision. I saw the Lord high and exalted. And His train filled the temple. Hallelujah. And the, 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 the creatures around the throne, they were singing the eternal praises. He not only saw the Lord, He heard something. Hallelujah. Have you ever heard any of the glories coming from the throne of God recently? Oh, it's beautiful. My friends, Isaiah was not mistaken. And yet, Isaiah, knew scripture. Scripture says no man can see God and live. True enough. But he says, I saw the Lord. If you you go to the original Hebrew text, he says, I saw Adonai. He wasn't claiming to see Yahweh, the very essence of the Almighty God Father. For no man can see God the Father and live. This side of glory. He says, I saw Adonai. I saw something of the glory of God. I believe He saw something of the pre-incarnate Christ. Seated at the right hand of the Father on high, His train filled the temple. He saw the pre-incarnate Christ. Jesus' promise to you and I this morning is, Blessed are the pure in heart. Because you can see God. You can see something of the pre-incarnate Christ. Something of the glory that flows from the throne of God as the Holy Spirit comes and reveals the Father to you. Hallelujah. This, my friends, is not just a blessed and glorious future hope. This, my friends, is a wonderful present reality for the child of God. I find that extraordinary. Oh, my friends, how deficient. How deficient our experiences of God are. Why is that? Has God failed us? Has God not been true to his word? Jesus, the Son of God, promises, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. They will behold his glory yesterday hallelujah as a poor reflection and then one day hallelujah we will know him even as we are fully known hallelujah we will know him in all of his fullness all of his splendor all of his glory some of you will be familiar with the writings of samuel rutherford hallelujah samuel rutherford on his deathbed had some kind of epiphany some kind of vision many do don't they Have you been there next to a saint when they pass from time into eternity? It's a wonderful place to be. I've been there on a number of occasions. And there's a sense in which there's almost like a a glimpse of something as they slip from time into the immediate presence of a loving Heavenly Father. Oh, I wish I could see it. One day I will. Hallelujah. If the Lord doesn't rapture me, who knows? Samuel Rutherford said this. Well, he said it. It was wrote down by by, uh, a friend. I shall sleep sound in Jesus, filled with His likeness rise, to live and to adore Him, to see Him with these eyes. Hallelujah. The bride's eyes, not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my King of grace. Not not at the crown He giveth, but on the nail-pierced hand, The lamb in all the glory of Emmanuel's land. Hallelujah. What a vision. What an encounter. What a reality for the child of God. What a salvation this is, says the Apostle Paul. Because if we are pure in heart, that is today, if we've kept a short account and confessed our sins, we are cleansed. Do you really believe? Do you really believe that? Because you're looking bound in sin presently, some of you. My observation, my observation, why is that? Why is it? If you confess your sins, it's tough sometimes to confess, isn't it? Because to confess, we have to acknowledge that we have sin. <laughs> and the enemy is pretty good at convincing us that can't be us, can't be me, <laughs> can't possibly. Hmm. Don't listen to the enemy. My friends, confess your sins. God is faithful and just and will forgive you instantaneously. You don't need to work towards that forgiveness. You don't have to come back tonight to make sure. Instantaneously. Cleansed. Pure heart. No wonder the psalmist said he understood it. Who might ascend the hill of the Lord? He has clean hands, ceremonially, yes, and a pure heart. You will see God. Do you want to behold His glory? It's midday. Sounds like a good time to behold the glory of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, doesn't it? Why not? And assured assured of that promise that one day you will see Him and know Him even as you're fully known. Oh, my friends, we are standing on holy ground here. Do we know it? Do we understand it? Do we perceive it? Standing on holy ground. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Father, we thank you for your incredible scripture. Oh, Father, forgive us for we oft times fail to receive this, understand it, know it. Because we have chosen inadvertently or otherwise to hold on to our sin. We've chosen to entrench ourselves in our positions. We've chosen, Father, maybe to to find comfort in our self-righteous acts and deeds. Lord, have mercy upon us. Help us to confess our sins. That we might be sanctified. Cleansed. Pure. That we might behold your glory. Even here in this place. And for eternity's sake. Amen.